Grab your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, a passage we've looked at before. Uh, it's one of my favorite passages actually to look, look at. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Ezekiel 37, if, that's page 766 of your pew Bibles. Uh, one of the uh, last of what's called the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Um, and this is, um, Ezekiel is known as an eccentric prophet. He sees a lot of strange things. Um, and through them, God reveals uh, his will and word for us. With that, you will stand with me out of reverence to God's word. We'll read verses 1 to 14. Ezekiel 37. The prophet writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out of the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He led me around among them. Behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. Behold, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. You shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a sound, behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, behold, there was sinews on them and flesh came upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that, that, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from the graves of my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you. You shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, we ask, as always, every time we gather, that uh, you would work a divine miracle in our lives, that you would open our hearts, that we would receive your word. You would open our eyes, that we would see your glory and your kingdom, our ears, that we would hear and heed the truth of the gospel, our mouth, that, that we would speak the hope of the good news to ourselves, to one another, and to this lost and dying world around us. Would you open our hands and our feet, that we would go in obedience to Christ, that we would be transformed by your word, your will, your way, that we may walk into your wisdom. Lord, this is your work. We come here to celebrate that Christ is risen from the dead. He is the one that can turn graves into a garden. And Lord, may I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In 2015, uh, I believe it was a National Geographic article, uh, reported that the previous year, 2014, 2.8 million Americans died, as was reported by the Social Security Administration. Of those 2.8 million people, 14,000 of them were still technically alive. Due to clerical errors and government, uh, 14,000 people were incorrectly entered in their online database as dead. 
If you went to public schools in Owen County, let me break that down to you just a little bit. That is one out of every 200 entries that were reported dead were actually alive. That is 38 life-altering mistakes every single day. I'm sure it's gotten better since. Now, on the one hand, you would think, not a bad deal, right? I mean, if you're dead, do you have to pay taxes? After the first year, of course. But after that, do you really have to pay taxes? Right? You can't tax a, a dead man. Or what if you were to commit a crime? Let's say you, you, you're not even a severe crime. Let's say you get pulled over by the, by the police for speeding. You say, no, 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 officer, you don't understand. I'm dead. You can't give me a ticket. You, you can't arrest me. I'm dead, right? And certainly I identify as one according to, to, to the government, right? But, but of course, if, if, if we were legally declared dead, though we are walking around, although on the surface it may sound like a, a, a fun trip to, to pull on the in-laws, but, but, but in reality, that's not good news at all, is it? One story that the article mentioned was, at the time, a 52-year-old mother of two named Laura Brooks, who uh, uh, fell victim of this clerical error. She noticed something was off. She didn't get a letter in the mail from the Social Security Administration saying, hey, by the way, um, you're dead, right? She, she didn't get that. She just noticed her disability checks had ceased. And as a result, her loan payments uh, 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 weren't made. Her rent checks started to bounce. And her whole life was ruined. She was shocked, as you can imagine, to discover that, in fact, according to the American government, she was dead. Well, you would think you should be able to go to the Social Security Administration and say, excuse me, sir, can you check the box that says alive still? Just check that box, right? Don't worry, I've got all the time in the world, right? Just check the box, right? If the box says dead, uncheck that box and check the box that's alive. Well, you may be surprised to know that Laura Books had to prove that she was still living because a phone call wasn't enough. To stand in person wasn't enough, right? Uh, to, to knock on the door wasn't enough, right? And it, it took months, as you can imagine, for the federal government to fix that. Well, if it is that easy to make the living dead, what we see in this text is it takes the divine work of God to make the dead come alive. Government can do one of those. But only God can accomplish the other. Notice how this, how this vision begins here with the sight of verses 1 through, through 6. The scene is set forth. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he sent me down the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many of them on the surface of the valley. Behold, they were very dry. This is the scene. This is a vision. It's not literally happened in the sense that God just sort of uh, teleported him over yonder. But, but it's a vision he's getting. Ezekiel gets a lot of interesting, bizarre uh, 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 visions. This is perhaps the most, most well-known. But I want you to notice two things here that, that stick out to my mind. First of all, Ezekiel is a Jew. 
Now, that may be rather obvious, being that you're reading a, a, the Hebrew Bible here. But as a Jew, they are very sensitive about what you do with a deceased body. The reason Christians have historically buried bodies is because we took that from Jews. Because of our view that, that we're made in the image of God from, from conception to, 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 to burial, we understand that the way you treat a deceased body is an act of, of, of respect and honor, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a sacred act. So here comes this Jew. Jew, and he sees he sees an innumerable amount of bones left to decay uh, without burial. This would have been shocking to him. More shocking is is that he knew his Bible and he knew what the imagery represented it. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses wrote, But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, he will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways before them. Your carcasses will be food to all birds of the sky and to the beasts of the earth. By the way, birds of the sky, beasts of the earth takes you back to creation. And there will be no one to frighten them away. Moses was warned in Israel that, that if you were to, to, to disobey my word, if you were to chase after idols, judgment would be your lot. And here is Ezekiel, this, this Jew who knows his Bible, and he sees, he sees this valley full of bones. And he realizes this is a vivid picture of judgment upon Israel. But not only is Ezekiel a Jew, but he's a Jewish priest. And priests know that to, to, to touch the, a deceased body, to, te- to touch something like this, would make you ceremonially unclean. That's why that when you do bury a body and you have to handle a body to prepare for burial, there is a series of, of, of ceremonies one would have to go through because you go from being unclean to now you have to be made clean. And here he is standing in the middle of it, walking all around of it. And he realizes I am now unclean because I have touched that which is unclean. I am surrounded with and I am covered with the stink of death. And this leads to perhaps what is the most bizarre question in all the Bible. There in verse three, God says to Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Now, how in the world do you answer that sort of question? I mean, I, I've been at the bedside of a deceased loved one with the family gathered around, and it has never crossed my mind to ask a question like this. It's a strange question, isn't it? There is an answer to the question. You're sensible folks. Can these bones live? No! No, they can't live. Try it. Pick a cemetery, any of them. Go out there and say, I'm going to watch them come back to life. No, that, that's the thing of scary movies. We don't want that, okay? we got enough problems in America as it is. We don't need to add that to it. Can these bones live? No, that's the answer, right? So, so if God were to ask you or me that question, the answer is no, okay? Because, because I'm a man of science, I'm a dignified person. The answer is absolutely no, they cannot live. These bodies aren't just dead, they are dried bones. How do you know what bone goes with what bone? No heart, no brains, no lungs, no skin, no blood, nothing. Just a pile of dry bones. Now, maybe give Ezekiel credit. He, he knows his Bible, and he remembers that both the prophets Elijah and Elisha raised bodies uh, from, from the dead. Well, that's, that's awesome. But you still had a body there, right? You don't have a body here. They're just bones, scattered bones. And they are dry, and they are weak, and they are brittle. But in the rest of verse 3, he gives his answer. Oh, Lord God, you know. Now, on the surface, that's a cop-out, right? 
That's like, this is like uh, uh, when, when, when uh, uh, you ask your wife, right? Hey, would you like to go out to eat? Oh, if you want to. Well, that's not an answer. Are you hungry? Check yes. If you're not hungry, check no. That's the way men talk about it, right? All the time, right? So, oh, oh Lord, you know, right? Just answer the question, Ezekiel. But of course, it is quite a profound answer because it's an answer rooted in faith. If it is God's will for these bones to remain dry, then they will remain dry. No one is going to change the circumstances of these bones. But if it is the will of God to raise these bones to life, nothing and no one will stop God from making it possible. Although, yes, on the surface, the answer is no, dry bones don't come back to life. Ezekiel was wise enough to to know that if it is God's will, it will be done. And so what he's told is is to give a sermon there in verse verse 4. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O bones, hear the word of the Lord. It's strange, isn't it? Do bones hear? Preach in some churches, you'll know the answer to that. Anyways, keep going. It says... um, uh, He says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you. You shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come over. This is the opposite of decomposition. You get sinews and you get flesh. Cover you with skin, put breath in you and you shall live and you will know that I am the Lord. Now, this is the promise of God that through the preaching of Ezekiel, not Ezekiel will cause this to happen as if there is power in his words, but rather it is the work of God through Ezekiel by which the bones will, will come to life. And in this, of course, is, 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 is no easy task. This is only something God can do. And, and so he will take bones and he will create life. He will take a grave and he will create a garden. He, 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 will, he will take the dead and he will make an army of of the living. So what does Ezekiel do? We, we go from, from, from the site to the sermon, starting in verse 7. He just gets up and preaches. And he preaches the dry bones. And, and I'll make jokes, but, but I've, I've been in these sort of preaching scenarios. My second sermon ever preached, teenager, everybody fell asleep. And it was because it was a nursing home, right? <laughs> I mean, and that was better than like the, the last time I preached at a nursing home because all the people had cell phones, but they couldn't hear their phones ring. Right? I, I enjoyed it a lot better when they were asleep. But that's neither here, here nor there. So, so Ezekiel gets up to, to preach. And notice it there in verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, behold, there were sinews on them. Flesh had come upon them. And skin had, hover, had, had covered them. Again, this is the opposite of decomposition. As God had said he would do, God is now doing. And again, the issue is who knows what bone goes with what bone well only only god knows these things and so these these bones find their homes they they add sinews and cartilage and ligaments and muscles and skin begins to form what god is doing is an exercise of what scholars call ex nihilo he creates out of nothing there is skin on them bones. There is muscle on them bones. Where did the skin and muscle and ligaments and the heart and everything else come from? It came by the creative act of God. It came from nothing. And yet we, we see there at the end of verse 8, there is no breath in them. So what does, what does God do? Starting in verse 9, he gives breath 
to them. Now, now that story may sound familiar. Can you think of a story in the Bible where, where you have nothing to suddenly you have a body by which God supernaturally breathes life into him? Of course, this is the act of creation. We are meant to see this work of resurrection in connection to God's work of creation because resurrection is an act of creation. The God that made the heavens and the earth is the God that raises the dead. We are purposely meant to see this from the prophet. And, and what does Ezekiel do? He's, he's rounding out his, his, his third and final illustration and lo and behold, right in front of him, literally, is a great exceedingly army. Presumably, this was an army before. An army that, as we saw in Deuteronomy 28, had been defeated in battle due to Israel's disobedience and idolatry. Yet despite that, despite all the decay, despite all the ugliness, God brings this army back to life. Ezekiel goes from preaching to the dead to preaching to the armed. Now, the background is given to us there in verse 11. Son of man, he says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. See, every text has a context, and a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text, you've heard me say. And then the context here is Ezekiel is a prophet to the Jewish people who are, have been sent into captivity by the Babylonians. This is in fulfillment of what we saw in Deuteronomy 28, that due to their disobedience and idolatry, God rained judgment upon Israel. And now they are scattered throughout all of the Middle East under the empire of Babylon. And what they see is hopelessness. What, what, what they see is, is, is that God has abandoned them and that they will forever be forgotten and they will simply die out. And there is no hope for Israel. And so for Ezekiel, and through God, he's saying Israel is like a valley of dry bones, hopeless and lost. And the wrath of God has fallen upon them. And so God gives his sermon to the hopeless starting in verse 12. I want you to notice the emphasis on the word I. I will open your graves. I will cause you to come out of your graves. I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have opened your graves. I have caused you to come out of your graves. I will put my spirit within you. The word, Hebrew word spirit and breath are the same word, same thing in Greek as well. I will place you on your own land. And you will know that I have spoken and done it. So please tell me within this, this story, Outside of confessing that God alone does the work, what do the bones actually do? Diddly is the way we put it in Owen County. Diddly. Nothing. After all, if dead bones can't hear, dead bones cannot respond. Dead bones can't do nothing. It is the miraculous work of God and a hopeless situation by which God arrests life from death itself, God deserves all the credit and glory for what happens here. God does the impossible. He takes the dead, dry bones and builds for himself an army. Ezekiel is only the means by which God accomplishes this task. Salvation, Ezekiel is showing. Redemption, grace. These are all solely the work 
of God. It is God who calls. It is God who brings us back from the mire. And it is God who does all these things for his glorious name. And what we have here is but a picture of the gospel. Can I, with the time that remains, give you three points of application and we can go and have our fried chicken with family? This is just three points from this text. I absolutely love this text. The first thing we need to see from this text is that our culture is a valley of dry bones. If there ever was a so-called Christian America, it is certainly no more. We are watching in real time what happens to a society when God hands us over to our debased desires. The Bible frequently associates sin with death. We, as a people, are a valley of dry bones. One of the difficulties for us in recent years as as Christians is trying to navigate life among the dead, life among this valley. We've become a valley of dry bones. But the good news of this text is that so long as Christ is reigning upon his throne, we are a people of hope. If Christianity can be born and even thrive and conquer amid the Roman Empire, it can certainly be revived in our own culture. If you believe these bones live, today is not the time for despair. This does not mean that the future will be easy for believers or that it will happen overnight or everything will be magical. Difficult days likely lie ahead of us. But the good news is, if we are faithful to the gospel, if we pray fervently for the work of God to, 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 to move within our midst, whether in our lives or in another, we will see God do the impossible. I believe he can turn dry bones into an exceedingly great army. We must never lose hope. God is the giver of life. Do you believe these bones can live? Secondly, I think what we need to see here is that our churches are a valley of dry bones. We've all read the articles. We've all seen the studies. And we've all bemoaned the slow decay and decline of our churches. Many of our churches are a valley of dry bones. Now we can sit here, we can blame whoever and whatever we want. More recently, we want to blame the coronavirus, but the coronavirus has not killed our congregation. It has accelerated a trend we were already well aware of. COVID did not eliminate our passion for sports. I went to a game late last night in Georgetown and enjoyed every minute of it. It didn't didn't ruin our enjoyment of travel. Spent a few days even with the outlaws in Nashville recently. I learned the kids all about Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash during youth group, right? And they had no idea what it is I was talking about. Nor has it slowed down our obsession with power and politics. Yet we've seen the acceleration of decline of our churches. Why is that? The church is sick. And I want to suggest that the decay of the culture is tied directly to the decay of the church. We are guilty of raising anemic disciples who know more about what the Kardashians are wearing for Easter than they do Paul's letter to the Romans. We are raising anemic believers. 
So what will give any congregation life, whether that congregation be big or small, new or old, traditional or contemporary, urban or rural? It will not be that we return to the way things used to be. It will not be an old-time religion approach. It will not be the justification of our biases. It will not be politics or power. It isn't going to be budgets and buildings and cultural influence. We cannot keep doing the same things we've always done, for we are a valley of dry bones. We have to stop trying to work in Christian America and start asking, what have Christians always done in these circumstances? What have Christians always done when when they were facing these challenges? And the answer is always they leaned in and put their faith in he who turns graves into gardens. He who raises dry bones. He who conquers death. He who gives life. And this begins when we as churches practice communal repentance. An idea that is foreign particularly to many Baptists, but a biblical one. Daniel, for example, in Daniel 9, in the middle of Babylon, he is there in the, the dry bones that Ezekiel is, is imagining here. Right there, he, he says, I then turn and face the Lord God, and I prayed to him and made confession, O oh Lord, we have sinned and done wrong. We haven't listened to your servants, the prophets. All All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to to obey your voice. You can turn to the New Testament. We see the same pattern. When Jesus writes the letters to the churches in Revelation, it's interesting. He tells the church, the entire church, to repent. The church of Ephesus, the church of Pergamum, and others, that the church needs to repent because the church isn't getting things right. The church must repent. And we can spend all of our time complaining about what that celebrity pastor said or what someone blogged about over here, what may be happening on the Twitterverse, but until our churches repent and get serious about the gospel and the members of our churches get serious about the gospel, nothing will change. Only God can give life where there is but bones. So we cannot bemoan the culture without fighting for a pure church that is Jesus-focused and gospel-centered. Do you believe these bones can live? If each of our churches renewed our focus on Christ and the mission he has given us, the problem in Frankfurt is not that we have too many churches, but we have too few. 50,000 people in our county. 50,000. We have 30 Baptist churches. That is not sufficient to house them on a Sunday morning. That is not sufficient to meet all of the needs. Will you commit this Resurrection Sunday to tell everyone you know about the gospel of Jesus? Will you commit this Easter morning to grow in your faith once and for all? Will you commit to fight against sin to war against temptation, to secure the future of this church. Do you believe these bones can live? Let me tell you thirdly and finally. You and I are like a valley of dry bones. This army of revived soldiers raised gloriously by God is a collective whole made up of individual souls. So it is in our churches, in our homes, in our community. The heart of the lost soul is a valley of dry bones. See, the hope of the gospel isn't that God makes bad people good. 
but that God in Christ makes the dead people come alive. Jesus will use the language of the new birth, but he's using that language. He's borrowing it from Ezekiel. While you're there, go back to Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, starting in verse 22. This is the real context of this vision. God tells Ezekiel, this is what I'm going to do. And then he visualizes it for us through the metaphor of of the valley of, of the dry bones. Starting in verse 22, chapter 36. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations which you came i will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned among them and the nations will know that i am the lord declares the lord god when through you i vindicate my holiness before their eyes i will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you to your own land i will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols i will cleanse you and i will give you a new heart and a new spirit remember the word spirit is breath and i will put within you uh, and I will put it within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. What does he do? He says, speaking of uncleanness, speaking of being raised to life, let me show you a valley of dry bones. That is what I'm going to do for Israel. And that is a picture of what God does in in the heart of a sinner. He gives life. He gives resurrection. Jesus, again, will refer to this as a new birth, new life. The old is gone. Behold the new. That is essentially what Easter is all about. It's not about beginning anew. It's about new life. It's not about picking yourself up for second chances. It's about through repentance and confession we are giving new life. Christ risen from the dead. What we need is Jesus. What we crave for is Jesus. What we desire is a resurrected Savior. And what we need is the hope of the empty tomb. God is still Raising the dead. Are you among them? Are you here this morning? You've never surrendered your life to Christ. Are you here this morning? You're just going through the motions of of Christianity. Are you here this morning? If you're honest, you're here because it's Easter. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You wait until Easter came to show up. And, And are you here right now needing to know God still raises the dead? And if Jesus is our first fruit, the good news is he is still doing it. Can these bones live? If you, like I am tempted to do when I read this story, is to answer that question in the negative, I beg of you this morning to repent and to believe in the saving gospel. But if you answer in the affirmative, yes, Lord, you know if these bones will live, then I'm going to ask you that you act like it. You live like it. You pray like it. You evangelize like it, and you trust that the good Lord will see it done. Can these bones live? Oh, Lord God, you know. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be so 